Hello and welcome to The Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible by our friends at Aftercare Australasia and our new sponsorship partners in Australian Unity. We thank them for their support very much indeed. I am Brendan Telfer. Welcome to our new season, 2019. Yes, travelling solo this time, Paula Dunn, not with me this year. But today on the program, a great deal to catch up on, especially in the sector, which of course has moved ahead very quickly over the Christmas New Year period. The Royal Commission has begun its hearings. There have been some interesting disclosures already, and there has also been a very big debate over franking credits and their impact on self-funded retirees. It's a policy being espoused by the Australian Labor Party, and we'll be speaking to Paul Gall a little bit later on indeed, or John Gall a little bit later on indeed, about uh, the particular impact and issue. There. Plus, we'll also be catching up with uh, Paul Vestage, who is Policy Coordinator at the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association, just having a bit of a preview, a look at some of the big issues in the sector that uh, could be impacting on all of us as 2019 rolls around. But first, as we do uh, each time on the program, a chance to welcome our regular visitor, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia to the studios. Warren, it is great to see you again and a very warm welcome. Oh, g'day, Brendan. Yeah, you're fabulous to be back. I hope everyone's had a lovely Christmas and New Year's, etc., and we've all just about recovered and getting back to business. But what an amazing year it has been, and I mean, what an amazing break it's been as well, because so much has happened since we last spoke in that first or second week of December. We've got a Royal Commission underway. We have a big sort of political issue brewing in terms of franking credits, um, and we also have some sizable injection of funds into a model of, of, of care that you, of course, support and your company does as well. Mm. Um, where do we start with all this? Uh, well, uh, we, really, wherever you like, we can we can talk about the funding if you like. That would be good because I was thinking to myself when I saw the Morrison government pumping so much money back into the sector that I was thinking, well, Warren and uh, Shane are probably pretty happy about this because it is supporting <laughs> your sort of model, basically keeping people at home and engaged and you give them that sort of support, don't you? Yeah, most definitely. And we we are starting to see this flowing through. Um, thank goodness. You know, we're starting to see this flowing through to um, many of the people out there at home who've been told that they're approved. So you recall we, we've gone over this before you get an approval saying you're eligible for a home care package, but then the issue is there's no funding attached to it and that you essentially just sit on a waiting list. And so the really good news is we're starting to hear from some people in the community that they're now getting those letters, those precious, precious letters saying you have been approved for a home care package with with some funding attached and they can start engaging with... Uh, providers, whether it's aftercare or, you know, they've got a choice in the community, which is great too, but they're, they're able to then shop around and um, actually start looking at who's going to come in and give me the support that I need. So we're seeing that come through now. There's been two rounds of funding. One was announced just before Christmas, which was specifically for um, just for home care packages. Uh, the figure they were talking about was 10,000 home care packages and they were very specifically targeting what they call the Level 3 and Level 4 packages, Brandon. So they're the ones that have got the much higher level of funding attached. Um, so, so if you were getting support from aftercare, that would be providing you with a Level 3 would be around about 12 hours of support a week in the home. 
a level four could be up to a bit over even 18 hours of support in the home. So it's quite close to the level of direct support that you'd get if you were in a nursing home. So, And then we saw a second tranche come through only just recently as well in this new year as well. Well, it's been announced. There's always a bit of a delay between when they, you know, when they announce it and when it, when it sort of the rubber hits the road. So the, the, so the pre-Christmas announcement, we're just seeing that hitting the road now where, as I said, we're getting calls from, from people saying, I've just got a letter after often being on, a, on the waiting list for, you know, 18 months or longer. Um, but... And then, and then if, by some strange coincidence, Brendan, there was an announcement of extra funding. I think it was, was it the, was it the first day of the Royal Commission or it, the day before? It, it might have been. And we don't get that sneakle on this beautiful program, do we, Warren? I'm sure it's a coincidence. I'm sure it is. Um, but the interesting thing is it endorses the model that you at Aftercare Australia are really been advocating for some time, isn't it? That basically... Keeping people engaged in their own homes, in their own environment, and bringing the care and needs to them rather than institutionalising them or putting them away in a home somewhere. Yes, and and, and this is kind of, I suppose, been one of the frustrations for those of us who who just specialise in home care is that we can see that there's been this enormous sort of build up of pent up demand for home care, and and you know literally. Every single person that I go out and see, they all say to me, I don't want to go into a nursing home. I'm so glad I've got a package now. Or, you know, we've been hanging out to get it and hanging on by our fingernails rather than go into a nursing home. Um, so so it's, it is meeting this demand or starting to, you know, scratch the surface of meeting the demand. But the thing, the thing that's a bit frustrating for me, Brendan, is even in this latest announcement, of the funding is still going to residential aged care. So even though we've got all of these reports about how broken the system is and how poorly it's meeting the needs of, um, you know, of our older older people living in the community... um, and there'll be more, I'm sure there'll be more, you know, unfortunately there'll be more horror stories to come out, I'm fairly confident, from from the Royal Commission... 50% 50% of the funding's still going to residential aged care. And and so, you know, they, they announced this headline figure, $662 million. $320 million of that is going into residential care. So why is that? Are the residential carers a very important pressure group and they have the ear of the government, do you think? Well, I, look, this is just my opinion, uh, you know. Um, so so I, I'm going qualify. Yes, I'm going to qualify it. But, right. but my personal opinion is that the um, there's an enormous lobby that that is based around residential aged care where you have um, literally billions of dollars that have been invested by investors and by corporations into real estate to build their nursing homes it's an enormous business and it has you know large numbers of very highly paid very skilled lobbyists in Canberra banging on people's doors all the time and uh, unfortunately that's that's how I see it whereas you know home care is you know the poor cousin because you you don't have all that infrastructure and investors in there but if you were listening to the age stage last week uh, and we we ran the special out of the BBC and the models there that are being tested particularly by the Dutch and the Koreans as well where home care is 
is the emphasis, the results have been spectacular, even for people with sort of quite advanced Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, the home care seems to be the way of the future. I just don't understand why it's not getting the traction. Will it change, do you think? Will you be able to get more access to funds in the future? Well, look, it'll be very interesting to see what the recommendations are when they come out from the from the Royal Commission. Um, but I'd be hopeful that, that some degree of common sense, essentially, will prevail because the 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 so again obviously you know I'm 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 biased in my opinion I'm not going to not going to hide that um, but leaving that to one side I think the facts speak for themselves and the facts are it costs half the amount of money to provide support for someone on a home care package versus the equivalent placement in a nursing home. So nursing homes are twice as expensive. But that's just the financial argument. There's also the psychological argument as well. Again, as I was quoting the program from last week, the research Mm. is indicating that people seem to be so much happier Mm. in their own home, in their own surrounds. Yes, but but again, I'm I'm, I'm saying... So I can can make all of those arguments, Mm. but I'm saying, looking at it from government's point of view, so government looks at it and they go, and this is government of every stripe, they all go, oh my goodness, we've got this enormous baby boomer um, population demographic sweeping through and, and just starting to hit that aged care level, you know, area that we have to fund somehow. How on earth are we going to fit? So for them, it's not about, I genuinely believe, it, it's not about um, the Australian government going, we don't want to help people. It's literally them going, how are we going to afford it? And so that's why I'm making this sort of economic rationalist argument of going, you're better off spending your money on home care packages because you get twice the bang for your bucks. But not only that, the people that are receiving it are getting what they want. So, so that, the, the, you know, that, that adds another 25% surely of value onto that money. If money's tight, that's where you should be spending it because you know, if, even if you're being purely mercenary and going, I want more votes... That's where the votes are, guys. So why, why the hell aren't they, why aren't they pursuing it? I mean, this is a critical year, so is there some leverage now possible by people such as yourselves, do you think? Well, I hope so. I, I genuinely hope that our voices are going to start getting heard. But I would also uh, like to think that this is an opportunity. You know, the Royal Commission in particular provides a platform for the voices of the older people themselves. It's not up to me. I mean, you know, I've got a vested interest in this commercially. So, you know, by all means, don't listen to me. Listen to your voters. Listen to your 60, 70, 80-year-olds who still vote um, and listen to what they want because what they're saying is they want to stay at home. Yeah, indeed. And and, and as they basically organise themselves, I mean, it's a considerable number. I mean, I saw 800,000 sort of bandied around the other day in term as a a group, as a demographic. Um, Uh, Can I give you another figure, Brandon? Please. One of the the, um, submissions to the the, uh, Royal Commission. So as we said, the Royal Commission started started, uh, this week. Um, One of the early submissions is already identifying that there are currently 127,000 older people who have been assessed as eligible for a home care package who are waiting for the funding. So leaving aside there's potentially 800,000 voters in general, there's, guys, there's already 127,000 disgruntled They're voters out there. Do, <laughs> can what, do something about you know, it. Wake up and smell the roses here, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, let's let's then move on into mm. the Royal Commission, which has begun its hearings, of course, already, and already we're beginning to get some of the fear and loathing stories, Warren. Mm. Um, 
And obviously life inside some of these aged care facilities is not a very pleasant experience, is what we're beginning to hear yes. for some. Look, uh, I, I, the, 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 comment, the comment that, I, that I've already sort of seen... Um, uh, now, I, I hope I'm attributing this correctly. I think it was from the person, from uh, one of the representatives from the Older Persons Advocacy Network. Um, so they're, they're saying that they think that um, uh, this sort of abuse um, that was highlighted in the ABC reports is is really just the tip of the iceberg. That, that's, their, that's, that's a comment. I, again, I might not be attributing that correctly, but that's the comment. Um, there, there's been figures bandied around. I think this was from the uh, Combined Pension and Superannuants Association New South Wales um, saying that uh, there's already already assuming this is the tip of the iceberg there's already self-reported 1.7% uh, of all uh, residential aged care residents um, will be assaulted by a staff member um, and, and and as I said their, their argument was very much that this is being massively underreported because it's only Voluntary self-reporting. It's, it's literally a staff member doing the wrong thing and then going, oh, shucks, I've done the wrong thing. I better tell my boss. Mm. Um, or unless the evidence is so blatant that a family yes. member can call it out. But yes. I, mean, I mean, I think it's a little bit more subtle and probably a little bit more psychological, some of this brutality um, uh, than, than that. Yes. And look, you know, obviously I don't want to sort of preempt what's going to be said, but uh, but one of the things that stands out for me, and, I've, and I've, I think I've often commented to you that I have the benefit of having experience in the disability services sector and also in the childcare sector. And you can sort of see, because they're all grappling with similar issues, which is how do you protect vulnerable clients? Um, and there already are lots of models out there for protecting those clients. So one of the things that they do in um, disability services is uh, in Victoria is they developed a um, community visitor scheme where they have people who can voluntarily do unannounced visits. So it's not from a government authority. Uh, they can do unannounced visits um, and they can just have conversations with residents to gather information about how they're being treated and they then can use that information to report to the relevant authorities but they also produce an annual report that is tabled to the Victorian Parliament. So is this, is, is this auditing a common practice? Have we seen this regularly or is this ad hoc stuff? Oh no, no, no. It's quite systematic. Okay. Okay. It's quite systematic and I know, you know, so there are a number of models out there which again are just completely absent in the aged care space, particularly in residential nursing homes and you know, it, it, it needs a broader approach than just, in my opinion, than just having um, government authorities who are usually, unfortunately, you know, underfunded and overworked, um, madly running around trying to investigate the most serious claims. Um, you know, that that's important. That's still very important work. But, but you need people that have got this sort of ongoing, more just testing the water around the quality and the satisfaction of residents in this system. It sounds like a pretty fair idea to me. Um, I know it's been summer recess, but I, I just haven't seen uh, the Minister for Aged Care, Ken Wyatt, out and about a lot on this subject or anywhere in particular over the last couple of months. That surprises me somewhat. I would have expected maybe to have seen him leading some of the discussions about this, but perhaps he's just sitting back and waiting for the Royal Commission to do its thing. But again, the Royal Commission's not going to be reporting. We're not going to see the final um, summation of all this for months 
for another yes. year or so? Well, at this stage, uh, they've indicated that they've had 800 submissions. So, so um, you would assume it's going to take them quite a substantial amount of time. Plus to the get hearings as well. Yes, yes, yes. Well, 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 you know, my understanding of how they work is they get the submissions and then from that they'll then work out... Um, you know who they're going to um, have come and attend the hearing. So um, even if they only see a relatively small number out of that 800, it's going to be a very long time. Um, and and, be, and uh, before their recommendations, or we hear of their recommendations, it's going to be some considerable amount of time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when we finished up late last year, Warren, you suggested that you would be our cub reporter as far as the Royal Commission is concerned. You would get back to us from time to time. Yes, yes, very That's happy good. to do that. And we're going to be seeing you on alternating weeks here at the yes. A stage this season, which is good news. So you can just keep a bit of an eye on things for us, perhaps, and mm. um, report mm. in from time to time. Mm. And tell us about the benefits of um, home care and particularly what you at Aftercare Australasia do as well. Mm. Be my pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for dropping by, Warren. Good to see you. And here's to a big year, 2019. Could be very interesting. Yes, it's going to be very interesting indeed, I think, Brendan. Uh, watch this space. <laughs> Thank you. So you are tuned to RPPFM. This is the age stage, a program which we have designed to look at issues and matters affecting older Australians. We're about to take a break. When we come back, the subject of franking credits and the impact of the Labor Party policy on self-funded retirees. Should we be concerned? Find out in just a moment. This is RPPFM. This is the age stage. This is RPPFM on 98.7 and 98.3 and you are tuned up to the Age Stage, a program that we've designed uh, to address the issues and concerns of older Australians. It is sponsored by our friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. Self-funded retirees have hit the headlines in recent weeks concerned about the Labor Party's election policy of cracking down on franking credits and what sort of an impact that might have on income streams for those that have retired. Indeed, you might recall that an information meeting on this particular matter was interrupted by one irate pensioner who was ejected from the gathering claiming that the meeting was a sham. Well, John Gould, a proudly self-funded retiree, has been at the forefront of this argument, particularly up in New South Wales. Joining us now on the line from his home in Marimbula. John, welcome to the age stage. Hello, yes. John, you have some pretty strong opinions about the Labour Party policy. What are your chief uh, issues with it? Well, I'm affected uh, personally as a self-funded retiree. I retired uh, 11 years ago and um, I'm I'm a member of the, the Liberal Party locally and certainly see this as a an election issue um, because it affects me and, and because of, it affects over 900,000 uh, retirees around Australia. Does it affect that many of them, though, John? Is it going to really become a big issue in the upcoming election, yes, do you think? it does. The, um, the Treasury has done an analysis of the Australian tax office figures, and that shows the following... 610,000 retirees in the lowest income tax bracket are affected. That's people under the threshold of 18,200 a year earning. A further 360,000 are in the tax bracket from 18,201 to $37,000. That's a total of 960,000 people. 
So, in other words, your argument is that the Labour Party really better get its numbers, right, or maybe change its policy. Do you think you can influence them to change the policy? Or they? Well, I hope so. I think um, uh, Bill Shorten has, and, uh, has made something of a political mistake with this um, retiree tax um, aimed to raise $55 billion. Um, when he announced it in March last year, uh, Bill Shorten said... Uh, this change only affects a very small number of shareholders who currently have no tax liability and use their imputation credits to receive a cash refund. Um, that's very far from uh, the truth that's now come out of the Treasury analysis. Um, the so-called very small number is actually, as I said, just under one million. And more than half of them are women over 60. Well, interestingly, uh, one of the big super funds, I think it's Australian Super, had uh, taken your side of this argument some time ago, but it now seems to reverse its policy, claiming, in fact, that uh, indeed it can't see any major impost on self re- self-funded retirees, and it's basically supporting now the Labor Party policy. I wonder why it would change its well, mind. Uh, why wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> Australian Super, the very successful fund, it's a union-backed fund, um, its principal problem is this. Um, when, when its um, members retire, they can stay with Australian Super or they can take their Super and establish a self-funded um, superannuation fund, uh, which quite a number of them have been doing. This will stop that happening and keep the money in Australian Super. Why wouldn't they support it? So you think it's basically their affiliation with the Labor Party, which means that they would support the policy irrespective of the numbers telling them something else? Uh, Well, I don't think the numbers do tell them something else. That's the point. How strong is the feeling? We saw evidence of it, I think, up in Sydney at one of the hearings recently when one of the pensioners was ejected, claiming that the whole inquiry by, I think it was a Labor-convened meeting, he was basically ejected from the meeting, saying the whole thing was a sham. Well, uh, that's politics, you know. uh, This is a democracy. We'll we'll get people with strong opinions will disagree, of course. Um, I'm just trying to point out what the actual effect of this proposed policy are. Um, It represents a new marginal tax rate of 30% on self-funded retirees. And that's double the tax rate um, uh, of uh, superannuation at 15% if you're over the current 1.6 million uh, so-called cap. In other words, if you've got a reasonably sized super fund, you do pay 15% tax. If you're under that, the moment you pay nothing, with Labor you'll pay 30. So in other words, you're claiming that the Labor government's having a double dip at people that have uh, screwed away enough money to make themselves... Well, what they've done is they will be affecting um, uh, retirees. Uh, the worst affected will be those on the lowest income with small holdings of Australian shares. And they've got... Um, They've already retired, and in most cases, they have uh, little ability to either restructure their affairs or return to work. 
So if people are feeling sensitive about it or put upon by this policy, how and what do they do to make their feelings known, do you think, John? Uh, well, the usual, um, the usual democratic processes, Brendan. Um, they can contact their local member of parliament and, um, and give their opinion. Are you, the, uh, are you... I think the Labor Party might be, might be uh, relying on, a, on the assumption that most older people uh, are conservatives or vote in a conservative sense, uh, that they, um, you know, that they may automatically support or preference the coalition. Uh, the facts are this. Uh, 23% of the electoral roll is age 65 or over, and even if three-quarters of them automatically supported the coalition, that leaves more than 5% of the national vote in play, and 5% of the national vote is most certainly enough to swing an election either way. It certainly is, and it looks like it could be a little bit tight as well. Um, so I'm just wondering, are you going so to... Why does Bill Shorten make such a big target of himself, uh, well, Remember Kevin Rudd in 207 who, who said, I'm a conservative. It was Howard Light. Well, uh, I'm not going to cut anything. Um, uh, Shorten's taking um, a very different approach, I think. Well, it's going to be interesting. In fact, uh, it's going to be a very interesting election. I'm just wondering, indeed, whether the pensioners group is going to organise itself to be an important player in all this. What's your feeling, John? Well, uh, there are some groups who... who um, seem to be organising, but in general, I think the, um, the Labor Party's thinking was probably that um, uh, this sort of tips identity politics on its head. Um, you pick out a group of people who are not really able to defend themselves very well and penalise them. So, great power standing up for itself, you think, John? Uh, well, I, I think they sure it's in their interest to... Um, um, to do so. The, um, otherwise, what can they do? What, what options have they got? They, the people who are, you know, uh, just over the um, part pension limit of uh, a house plus 848000 in assets, um, the temptation is for them to spend down some of their assets and go on the part pension, much to the chagrin of their... Um, kids and grandkids who were hoping for some sort of inheritance. Um, so, on the other hand, I'd caution people not to act too soon. This is an opposition policy. Um, so, first, uh, Mr Shorten would need to win the election, which the polls indicate he probably will. But then it, uh, he must obtain the cross-bench Senate support in order for this to become law. So do you think the pensioners can mobilise themselves sufficiently well to uh, let uh, the upper house know that uh, they stand opposed to this? Well, it's either that or the Labor Party itself will realise um, um, that it's making itself a quite a large target and it may make more exemptions or more changes. As you know, I think Brendan had already exempted... Um, uh, pensioners, except for people who didn't um, qualify after the 28th of March last year. So it's exempted them. Uh, it's exempted everyone in the union-backed funds. Um, what they could do now, 
to make this um, a little more equitable would be to impose a, a limit on the amount of franking credits that anyone could receive as a cash refund. For well, example, $10,000 or in a year, say. Well, let's see, keep... the way the tax system works, many people don't really understand it, and I don't blame them, but the way it works is every year um, companies pay um, pay-as-you-go tax for wage and salary earners. And, and then, secondly, companies pay company tax for shareholders. So 10.5 million Australians every year get refunds worth $30 billion for overpayment of pay-as-you-go tax. And moving on to retirees, about just under a million Australians every year get refunds amounting to $5.2 billion for overpaid company tax. Uh, there's no real difference. The dividend imputation system, so-called, introduced by Paul Keating, the Labor Treasurer in 1987, was to eradicate double taxation. Uh, the John, John Howard's government then in 2000 made it more generous by uh, exempting, well, in the case of uh, people who had a, uh, a franking credit, an imputation credit, uh, but no tax liability could receive a cash refund. Uh, and that's what, and at the time, Simon Crean, who was the Labor leader, supported it. Uh, Bill Shorten, who's now the Labor leader on $375,000 a year, um, wants to change it. Well, I tell you what, it's going to make for some interesting reading, and obviously there's going to be uh, uh, perhaps some reform and some... Um I don't know, maybe some uh, adjusted thinking by the Labor Party as we head closer to the uh, upcoming election. And I just yeah, want... I it's, just, it's hard to to understand. Um, from my experience, I've been... Um, you know, although I'm retired now, before that I was involved with elections for many years and, and um, it's hard to understand the thinking. Maybe um, because they, the Labor Party announced... Uh, a crackdown on negative gearing and um, increases in capital gains tax before the 2016 federal election and then improved their vote. Uh, that might might have made them feel, um, you know, a, lot, a little bit more adventurous. Um, well, I really what happened was um, uh, the Turnbull government probably made a mistake of... Um, uh, not not doing any negative campaigning whatsoever, and um, the Labor vote improved. Well, I'll tell you what, John, uh, as a former communications consultant, maybe you can keep a bit of an eye on it for us, and we might dip into you from time to time as the election rolls around and see whether there have been any changes or any uh, adjusted thinking by the Labor Party and Bill Shorten as they head into that election, hey? I'd be happy to. I mean, um, in the area where I live in southern New South Wales, there's about 7,000 people affected in this electorate and I'm sure in the electorates down your way Brendan um, there'd be similar numbers. Well indeed down here on the Mornington Peninsula of course I think probably it's got a, it attracts a very similar demographic I would say to southern New South Wales like your beautiful part of the world up around Marimbula. Um, John Gall thank you very much indeed for taking time to talking to us today on uh, the age stage. It's my pleasure Brendan. Uh, we've got your number John and we'll give you a bell at one stage or some stage in the very near future hey? Thank you. Good on you. Thank you very much indeed for your time today, John. Appreciate it very much. Okay, bye. See you, bye.
John Gould, a uh, proudly self-funded retiree on the line from his home in Marimbula. We thank him very much indeed, and obviously the whole policy and the Labor Party's stance on franking credits and its impact on retirees, we will be monitoring very much indeed. This is The Age Stage, a program designed to look at issues concerning older Australians. We're coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio right here in beautiful Wilson's Road. When we come back in just a moment, we're going to be speaking to Paul Vestige, who is the policy coordinator at the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association for his look into his crystal ball, 2019 Royal Commission's franking credits. But what other and big issues could be confronting the sector in 2019? Paul Vestage on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Well, this is The Age Stage on RPPFM. I'm Brendan Telfer. Thank you very much indeed for your company right here on your local radio station, RPPFM 98.7, 98.3. We're coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio. The Age Stage is made possible by our friends at Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity as well. Well, we've met him before, but time for 2019 for the first time to introduce Paul Vestige, who is the Policy Coordinator of the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. They are, of course, not politically affiliated and Paul gives us a very straight-down-the-middle assessment of what is happening in the sector. So, Paul Vestige, it's been a huge year, lots to catch up on, and welcome back to the program for 2019. Good to have your company. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, this week, as you probably heard earlier in the program, we've been trying to look into the year ahead and frame some of the major issues that we believe will have an impact on the sector. And uh, earlier on, of course, in the program, we heard John Gall's concerns about Labor's plans to reform franking credits, its impact on pensioners and uh, self-funded retirees. And we've also, of course, heard Warren bring us up to speed on some of the bigger issues in the Royal Commission. Are are these the big headline issues that you're seeing, Paul, or are you seeing other things as well? Well, obviously, the franking credits uh, issue is is, is a headline issue now. Um, It doesn't uh, take much predictive uh, power to to, to see that. it, it is an important issue. What I think is gets, is getting lost in the uh, in a debate is that uh, it actually only affects self-funded retirees um, and not pensioners who who would be exempt from from that policy. Um, we we get quite a lot of calls from from pensioners who um, have have a small uh, shareholding and um, you know uh, also get franking credits um, and they're very concerned and. Uh, yeah, when I point out that uh, pensioners will be exempt, that, uh, that that surprises a lot of people. And probably makes them feel a lot, lot happier, a lot more comfortable about their Absolutely. future. Um, but then, so when we hear them bringing out the big stick and saying that 800,000 pensioners will descend on Canberra, um, probably pushing a little bit far. But what is the feeling as far as older Australians are concerned? This is a huge year. We've got the Royal Commission going on. I'm sure we'll talk about that in just a moment. But also we've got a general election coming up mid-year as well. Are the pensioners organising themselves? Is there more leverage this time round? Can they get some uh, deals done in Canberra? Um, well, as far as we're concerned, the the aged care stuff is uh, is the most important um, uh, theme for for the year and probably in in, in a few years uh, for for a few years. Um, the the income security, retirement income security issues. Um, are playing out at, at sort of the, the the higher level, if you like. I'm not suggesting that self-funded retirees are are, are just rolling in it, um, but that's that's where the issues are. And 
really what we're seeing is um, we saw that in, in uh, 2017 when the, the asset test taper rate for the pension went up, uh, doubled in fact, we, we're seeing um, past measures being rolled back um, and the franking credit issue is, is, a, is a good example. Franking credits uh, refunds, cash refunds, um, were a late um, a feature of, uh, of of the of the dividend imputation, and it was uh, it was granted by the Howard government, um, and now it's being rolled back. That that is really what we're seeing. Um, that, there, that there have been very generous measures, and um, they have proven to be, according to the government, too generous, and uh, and they're being and they're being being wound back. They are indeed. Well, the the upshot is that it's not affecting as many people as uh, perhaps some of the media stories might be implying. The Royal Commission, of course, is the other huge headline. And, um, you know, we heard Warren earlier on talking about it in general terms. But specifically, it now seems to be sheeting home responsibility to certain individuals and organisations. Yes, the uh, of course, every Royal Commission takes a while to... Um to get going, it's uh, it's a huge. Uh, it's basically setting up a mini government department uh, to conduct an inquiry. Uh, but the hearings have now started. The hearings started uh, probably um, last week, and uh, and CPSA gave evidence uh, before the uh, before the Royal Commission. Um, and today we actually saw um, a representative from uh, the HK industry being grilled on um, on on what he had said in his submissions and. Um, it, it was uh, it was probably uh, we were, were getting a, a preview of what we can expect in the coming months uh, with with hearings from the Royal Commission into aged care. So, how far do you think this commission is going to drill down into holding people up and uh, some of their operation models? Uh, do you think we're going to see some very embarrassing revelations here? Um, I think we can expect um, more horror stories, certainly. I think uh, probably the, the, the Royal Commission will go about it a little bit more um, strategically than just, you know, having people get up and tell horrible experiences they've had in the aged care system. What they will probably do is um, is get somebody or get some people to, to tell their story and then call the providers to account. That That is what I'm expecting um, in, in months to come when the uh, Royal Commission... Um, goes on the road and, and visits all the major capitals. Yes, well, a lot to come. What, what else are you seeing as you look ahead into 2019, Paul? Where, where else do you see some headlines as far as this age sector is concerned? And look, I think the, the superannuation, we can, we can expect action there. Um, but a lot of the issues uh, have been signalled. Um, of course, the, the federal opposition is running on... Um, uh, a transparent uh, platform that, that is uh, it's, uh, it's, it's actually announced what its policies are going to be this is why we're having these big debates now <clears throat> and if uh, they win government um, those issues will further dominate uh, the headlines and the uh, debates in the uh, in, in, in lounge rooms and kitchens around the country. Well, can you just detail some of these superannuation concerns that you might think could hit the headlines later on this year? Yeah, I think uh, what we're going to see is um, uh, the regulators taking action on, on superannuation. Um, 
there will be an implementation of uh, of a review by the um, Productivity Commission into superannuation, which will probably lead to a lot of smaller funds being wound up or being merged with bigger funds. We'll see superannuation funds not being able to um, to operate um, basically um, inactive accounts, which they they still slug for fees, but they don't do anything for. So accounts will be merged. Um, where people have multiple accounts. Um, those are changes um, in, in, in superannuation. Um, I don't think there's going to be much change in uh, in the area of the age pension. I think we've we've had all the reform that, uh, that you could possibly have there for a while. Um, um, and, of course, yeah, the big debate is going to be, continues to be around franking credits um, and... Um, and negative gearing. Negative gearing hasn't had as much of a profile yet, um, but of course it affects a lot of people and it doesn't just affect all the people. Can you see uh, the Liberal Party then playing their hand and trying to entice the 800,000 uh, retirees to their cause as um, politics get a little bit sharper later on in the year? Uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll they'll be trying their uh, their their best. Um, I mean, a, a few weeks ago there were rumours that uh, the government was going to announce uh, uh, a handout, uh, you know, a one-off handout to uh, to pensioners uh, as part of the uh, the April budget. Um, that may still happen. Um, so, yeah, interesting times ahead. I must say, just looking at uh, the whole sector over the last few months or so, Ken Wyatt doesn't seem to be quite as prolific as he was late last year, middle last year. You remember he was he was just on the verge of announcing some initiatives in the sector, and then, bang, uh, Scott Morrison stood alongside him and announced the Royal Commission. Since then, Ken Wyatt, we haven't seen much of him. Um, well, you know, the... Reforms that, um, that that Ken Wyatt um, was championing um, are happening. We, th- th- there is a new Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission which has started operation. Um, on the 1st of July, there will be new Aged Care standards coming into effect. Um, the uh, the workforce issues are being uh, are, are being addressed. Uh, it's it's not true that that he um, has suddenly become inactive. It's uh, it's, it's, it's basically implementation time, and um, you know the big announcements are, are behind him. Although he, he he does manage to put out two or three press releases every day, I have to say. Yes, I, I'm not saying I'm not being critical, but I just thought that in profile he seemed to be very proactive. He was very much on the front foot. Perhaps it is just basically implementation time. We're not seeing the uh, the espousal of those uh, those policies now, which he was doing middle to late last year. Um, certainly a very able and uh, we think a very good um, minister. Um, so those then are the major issues going forward, Paul. Um, do you think as a group, pensioners are organising, they are mobilising and they will be able to exert some pressure on either the opposition and or the government going into this election? Well certainly um, I mentioned the, uh, the the handout just now and, and obviously there is still a lot of um, discontent among the, uh, the hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people who were affected by the asset taper rate doubling um, and uh, I'm sure that um, that many of those would, would, would are still looking at um, at who to vote for uh, because they were really hard hit um, um, when when the when the, uh, the 
the taper rate doubled, and I don't think you know just a handout at, at budget time, a one-off, is going to persuade them that uh, um, the um, the coalition government uh, is, is going to uh, be really good for them. Uh, on the other hand, the opposition is uh, is signalling cha- changes that that also are not all that good for um, for, for self-funded retirees. So, where editorially does the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association stand? Do you put out some sort of an editorial or endorsement of a particular party or government? No, we can't do that. Um, we uh, our constitution says that we um, uh, are non-party political, um, so we can't. We can't take sides. We can only look at the issues and, and comment on those. And we comment on those from basically from the pensioner point of view. Um, so that which explains why we're not all that active in the in, in the franking credit uh, debate at the moment. Because um, if if it's going to happen, pensioners uh, are going to be exempt from uh, from that policy. And Paul Vestige, that is why, as policy coordinator, we enjoy talking to you here on the H stage uh, every so often, because uh, like you, we have to be very editorially balanced as well on the program. Paul, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Thank you.